All right, the other thing I was going to mention is, obviously, we're doing a little bit different format today. Uh, for those of you that are um, missing the fact that we haven't sung as a congregation yet, we're saving it till the end, all right? So um, we are going to sing. We'll sing, be singing four songs, uh, all right in a row. And, and I hope that the limitations of this messenger, uh, as I approach this topic, um, I, I just hope it will not get in the way of the importance of this topic that we're talking about, this, this need for us to sing. And my hope is, is that as you um, practice singing, as you uh, do it week in and week out when you come here, maybe on Wednesday nights, maybe in other settings, that maybe as we, as we look today, you might be challenged in a specific area, a specific area that may be a challenge to you. Singing is something that we often all enjoy. I mean, we, we do enjoy, uh, you know, singing to the radio, singing when we're all alone. But there's something that's unique when, when we come together as a body of believers. And so as I say that, there are, there are people in this room that are more than likely not believers in Jesus Christ. They've never, come, they've never bowed the knee, as we say. They've never come to a, a confessional faith of saying that, that they need a Savior from the penalty of their sin. They, they, I'm hoping that even as we discuss these things, that we, as uh, those of us who've come to faith, would recognize that the way we sing matters to them. The way we sing matters to each other. And certainly the way we sing matters to God. So we're, we're going to be covering some of that. And so we have this question, why we sing as a church. And so I thought I'd start off with just asking you to answer this privately in your own mind. Uh, why do we sing as a church? What are those things that come to your mind? When You, you might be wondering why it is that we're going to uh, tackle this topic uh, today. Um, and so as you consider this question, let me just uh, explain to you. What we'll do is we're going to look at the why we sing today. And then on Wednesday night, we're going to gather together in the chapel, and we're going to engage in questions. We're going to be engaging in, in explaining uh, some of the principles that we use and will be using moving forward to, to uh, help us uh, decide what songs we'll be singing and how we'll be singing them. And, and, um, and you know, it's done with intentionality. It's done with purpose. And we're going to be talking about that on Wednesday night. So we invite you to come on out. Uh, in between the service, uh, again, I, I, uh, I had at least five people I had talked to after the service with their questions. And and a couple of them, I said, please, come Wednesday night and ask those questions. I would encourage you to come with your questions, but I ask you, as I, as I shared with one sister in Christ, I ask you to ask your questions looking forward, okay? Looking forward from the point that we are at at this particular time at Merrimack Valley Baptist Church, ask your questions about going forward. And um, her question was a legit question. I said, please, ask the question. But I nuanced the way she was asking it because it was very much tied to the past, and I can't do anything about that. Right? I can't, can't change the past, can't, can't relive it, can't do anything like that. But we, we can move forward uh, in the way that we sing. And so now that I've, I've explained that, please come on out Wednesday. But why do we sing as a church? Here are some of the ideas that I thought you might respond with, and I'm sure there's plenty of others. Because it's worshipful. I mean, seriously, that's why we, why we sing as a church. We come as an act of worship. We'll, we'll mention that a little bit later. And, 
Uh, but, you know, honestly, it's understandable that that would be an answer. Why, why do we sing? Because it's worshipful. You might say, well, it's traditional. In other words, it's tradi- when I come to church, if they don't sing, something's wrong. And I would agree with you. If we don't sing, it's, it's a bit strange. It's strange having the songs at the end of the service. My pastor, uh, and when I was a chaplain in the military in Fayetteville, the pastor of the church that I later became the pastor of, uh, we were talking one day, and he says, Greg, we, we do it all wrong. We should sing at the end of the service. We should, we should preach the sermon and challenge people to understand what God is saying and then sing about it at the end. And so I've never, he never did it, <laughs> and I've never done it until today. So we're going to actually sing at the end, uh, not out of tradition. It's, this is not tradition we're doing. We're doing it very purposefully. Uh, why do we sing as a church? Because we like to sing. Now, I know that I do like to sing. I enjoy being in the front where I can see all your voices coming at me, and, 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 it, and it fills my heart to, to hear people singing the truths of Scripture, to singing uh, new hymns, older hymns, whatever it might be. But they're, they're, we're singing with an understanding of God's truth, and we're, we're doing it in a way that, that I enjoy. But the reality is not everyone in this room enjoys singing. And even now, you might be thinking, I picked the wrong Sunday to, to come. I should have skipped today, right? We're, gonna, we're talking about something I don't even like doing. And we're going to talk a little bit about that a little bit later, as uh, why you might not like doing it. Uh, but we'll save that for later. So what I want to do today is consider three overlapping reasons. I mean, I, honestly, we have talked about this as a pastoral staff. We have, we've batted around, but it's, it's, it's on my plate to actually present, and I, I pray that this will make sense to you. But I, I, I try to boil it down to something simple, and so I think there's three overlapping reasons why we sing as a church. There's not just one reason. I think all of these are true, uh, but they are definitely overlapping. So let's, let's look at reason one. Uh, why do we sing as a church? Because we want to obey God's commands. That's probably not the reason that you came up with when I asked you to consider why, why, you, why we sing as a church. Oh, because I want to obey. That's, that's, it's true. We need to obey, and we're going to talk about uh, where, God, where we're commanded to sing, but it's not what the, comes to the forefront of our mind. But keep in, keep in mind that this, this reason is overlapping with the next two. It's not the only reason we sing. Just like we would not want the only reason that our, our, uh, for our children to do what we asked them to do is just because we commanded them to do it. I ju- I'm just doing it because I have to obey. We want our children to respond to us as we give them instruction. We want them to obey, but we want them to, to, to obey with a full heart of, of, of expecting and knowing that this is best for us, right? So we'll look at aspects of that. So why do we sing as a church? Because we want to obey God's commands. There's two commands we're going to look at. The first command is very simply, God commands us to sing. Now, in the New Testament, we do not see a straight-up command, thou shalt sing. And actually, we don't see it worded that way in the Old Testament either, thou shalt sing. What we do see in multiple places is the idea, this is a command, sing to the Lord. Now, I love to read Scripture, and uh, I love to read Scripture with passion. Uh, I love to, to 
enter into what's going on here. In Isaiah 42.10, which is a scripture reference that we read earlier, um, Isaiah is, we know Isaiah, uh, he does a lot of prophecy, uh, a lot of different things going on. But in this particular text, he's saying, Sing to the Lord a new song and his praise from the ends of the earth. So let's get our shallow, that's a wrong way to say it probably, but I was going to say our shallow minds. When I say shallow, I don't mean that. (laughs) I'm not trying to offend you, all right? I'm just saying we don't think deeply. We need to think deeply. We're talking about his praise from the ends of the earth, how far as the east is from the west, right? It's the idea of all creation, his praise from the ends of the earth, you who go down to the sea and all that's in it, all that's in the sea, You coastlands and you inhabitants of them. Wherever you go, Isaiah is saying that we are to sing to the Lord a new song. And that terminology, a new song, is found, honestly, throughout the Old Testament and even when we get into the New Testament, ultimately in the book of Revelation. But we'll see, in this text, what I wanted to point out is when we are commanded to sing, who's commanded? Is it just the Israelites? Does it go beyond that? I wanted to read uh, out of this text. It says, uh, verse 10, sing to the Lord. But then as we go down a little bit further, it says, uh, let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voice. The villages, uh, the villages that Kedar inhabits, let the inhabitants of Selah sing. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. My understanding that the inhabitants of Kedar and Salah were not friendly toward the Israelites. These were the enemies of God's people. And what we're being told here is that there's going to be coming a day when the command to sing to the Lord a new song is going to be sung by those who are outside the nation of Israel. They're going to be outside the people of God. There is coming a day. And the day has already arrived when we as believers from different ethnicities and all that, we are able to sing to the Lord in a way the Old Testament saints weren't able to sing. This is looking forward to our day and beyond. And we can sing praises. John 4 is one of my favorite chapters in Scripture when Jesus is with the Samaritan woman by the well, and and they're conversing. And and she says, well, your people say on this mountain we should worship, and my people say we on this mountain. And Jesus says, listen, I'm telling you, there's coming a place in time, soon coming, when we'll be worshiping everywhere. Isaiah prophesied it. Jesus spoke about it. We're living it. We will continue to live it. Sing to the Lord. It's a command. And it's not the only place it takes place. In in Psalm 96, it says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His wonders among all the peoples. This is something to get excited about, this singing that we're talking about, this singing that we're going to be participating in at the end of this service. I want you to understand, every one of those is a command. And it's written in the book of Psalms to to certainly the people of their day, but it's written to us because it's saying, listen, proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day. We are still proclaiming the news of His salvation, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, we get to sing it in, in its fullness. We get to sing about our Savior. We know His name. We know what He did. 
Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the psalmist is saying, we need to sing to the Lord. We need to proclaim the good news of His salvation. But they didn't understand the fullness of that salvation as we do. And we don't even understand the fullness, fullness of it until we're in His presence one day in the future. Declare His glory among the nations, His wonders among all the peoples. God's good news is never intended to stay inside the walls of the church. But we are to proclaim it within the walls. And when those who have come into our presence who do not know Christ, do not know what salvation is, do not know the forgiveness of sins, when they hear us singing out of obedience to God's command, God is glorified, we are edified, and people often are converted or they're drawn. God uses the singing of God's people to draw people to faith. This is what's going on. We go on in Exodus 15, 21, where we see Miriam. Miriam uh, uh, is basically practicing what most of the singing had to do with in, in the Old Testament and even to today. It's talking about the great works of God. She says, uh, she answered them, uh, this is after they come out of the, the, uh, the, the uh, nation of, of Egypt, and as they have crossed the Red Sea uh, as if on dry land, and, and they get to the other side, and she says, sing to the Lord. She is a worship leader. She's telling the people, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider have been thrown into the sea. She has been taken, uh, she has taken the opportunity to point everybody's direction at what God has just done on their behalf. It wasn't through the might of the Israelites that, that Egypt was overthrown and the Pharaoh was subdued. It is through the act of God, and she's responding to this great act, and she's singing a song, and she's leading others and commanding others to sing with her. Psalm 149.1 says, Praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, and His praise in the assembly of the saints. Right? We're supposed to sing in the assembly of the saints, whether that was Old Testament or New Testament. Those who are believers in in God, they did not know the name Jesus Christ, but they sang in expectation that God was going to fulfill His promises. The promises that we've already been talking about as we've been studying through Galatians, the promise that God through the seed of Abraham would bring one that would bless all the nations. We know that person to be Jesus Christ. And, and, and so in Psalm 149, He's saying, listen, command, sing to the Lord a new song in His praise in the assembly of the saints. We are called to be obedient to God's command to sing. So I ask you to consider, again, I'm going to ask you probably a few more times. If you are not singing on a regular basis, I don't want to put you on a guilt trip. That's not the point. I want to set you on the right path. God expects us to sing His praises. It's His command, and we ought to obey it. As we get into our second command, this one's a little bit different. It's not directly that we should sing, but it is expressed by singing. It's, it's lived out by singing. And, and this is the second command, and, and it's this. God commands us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Imagine that. God is commanding us to be filled. Wait a minute. I thought I was already filled by a believer as being uh, come to faith in Christ, Right? Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, anyone who comes to Christ is a new creature. All things have passed away. Uh, all things have passed away. All things have become new, right? We're, we're this, this person in Christ, this new creation. And that part of that new creation is we have the Holy Spirit indwell us. Much like the Old Testament, tabernacle and temple, 
that the tabernacle moved from place to place and place, and, and God would, would manifest his presence there in the Shekinah glory. There would be a physical uh, manifestation of his presence. When it, when it came to the temple and they were dedicating the temple, uh, they would, um, they would uh, well, I think it was the tabernacle and the temple, but uh, I think maybe it was the tabernacle specifically where his manifestation was so prof- uh, profound that the priests couldn't even do their jobs. They couldn't do their duties because it was so full of his manifest presence. And like the tabernacle in the Old Testament and the temple in the Old and New Testament, what we learn as, as those who come to faith in Christ, we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're part of that temple as an individual, but we're certainly corporately, when God's people are gathered in one place, God manifests His presence, and part of that manifestation, manifesting presence is the singing that we do. The confusion that might come on the scene is when we don't sing out of response to this, being, this command. God commands us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's something that takes place, but yet it's a continual thing, a continual thing that is supposed to be taking place. Ephesians 5, we're going to look at parallel passages here. Ephesians 5, 18 through 20, and uh, Colossians uh, 3, 16. All right, we're just going to touch on this, but here we see the command. Here's a command. Two commands here. Do not be drunk with wine. That is an imperative. It is a command. It's saying, be drunk, not. Right? The command is, be drunk, not. Don't, don't get drunk. This is not talking about not having a drink. It's saying you are not allowed to, to be drunk with wine or alcohol or any other uh, substance there. Uh, but that's, that's where most people stop. <laughs> They're like, yeah, don't be drunk. Yep. Drink is a sin, right? Uh, be careful with that. Uh, I'm going to say it. Drinking is not a sin. But being drunk is definitely a sin, and that's definitely in this text. But it's not the point of the text. The point of the text is bringing this very serious matter, which was destroying lives back in Paul's day as it's destroying lives in our day. It's, it's to bring this in contrast with in which is dissipation. We'll talk about that. The drunkenness leads to a life that doesn't honor God. We'll just leave it at that way for now. But in contrast to that, be filled with the Spirit. It is a command. We are called to live out our Christian life in such a way that we are continually being filled with the Spirit. We are not quenching the Spirit. We have life in the Spirit, and we are allowing the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do in the lives of believers. And so please understand the emphasis of of verse 18 is be filled with the Spirit. I I, I summarize it this way. Both the verbs are passive in form, which means that the action of the verb is upon the subject. So the action of being drunk or being filled Right is, is on the subject. So as one allows himself to become drunk, you don't become drunk by accident. One can allow himself to be filled with the Spirit. It's something that is done to you. It's the Spirit working in you and through you. 
this is, this is part of the joy of, of coming together on, on the Lord's day as brothers and sisters in Christ. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit in a greater form than we are when we're just all alone. And so it is a command to be filled. How does this connect with our singing? He says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This idea of the Holy Spirit doing His work in us is the idea of being filled with the Spirit, that continual filling with the Spirit, but we're supposed to be speaking. We're supposed to be exercising our vocal cords. And, and honestly, this could be in the, in the idea of just regular speaking, right? I could speak to you in psalms. I can read the psalms to you. But the idea here is, is very much singing, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a powerful passage of Scripture. Again, Ephesians 5 and, 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 and um, Colossians 3. And so what we see as being filled with the Spirit is directly tied to singing. God commands us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's directly linked to singing. So when you come here on a Sunday or a Wednesday or in your life group or in a Bible study, and God's people are gathered together. The Holy Spirit is, is working. And sometimes when you guys choose to sing in those contexts, the Holy Spirit is responsible for, for bringing those truths to your mind and of working in you and bringing praise uh, to you. He is, we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So when we sing, we're exercised. This is, we're allowing this to take place in our life. We're allowing this to happen to us. So why do we sing? First of all, the commands. He commanded us to sing and he commanded us to be filled. I, I can't spend a lot more time on that. We're going to flesh out a little bit more of the Ephesians passage here in a few minutes. But let me just say there's a second reason that we are to sing together as a church. And not only because he commands it, but because we want to fulfill God's purposes. I certainly want to be obedient to God. But my obedience to God, as again, has to be heartfelt, has to be internal, has to be with right motivations. And, and, and so we want to fulfill God's purposes. God has purpose in singing. It's not just, it's just not a means of coming together and being happy together, although it is a good thing. There's more involved with this, and I think that we ought to pursue uh, an understanding of what God's purposes are in singing. So I decided to do it in reverse order of the way I originally started because I want to end in where I, at the first one, and that's one that's going to segue into our time to sing together, okay? But let's just, let me just talk about some ideas. These are not exhaustive. We can certainly talk more about this on Wednesday night. Come with your questions. Come with your observations about where I have missed some, because, again, I can't cover everything. But God wants us to sing with expectation for the future. I think this is, this is a purpose uh, that we can say that uh, God has this future-oriented aspect of things when it comes to singing. Uh, look at Revelation 5, 8 through 13. It is, again, a powerful passage. We are looking into, the, uh, into a future time. Uh, we are engaged in a revelation John is receiving. And, and picture this. He says, Now when he, speaking of Jesus, had taken the scroll... This is a pivotal 
pivotal point in the book of Revelation. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell, fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. There's that reference again. They sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Well, just pause right there. As we look to the future, we can understand there is never a time where we are not supposed to be singing in response to the power of gospel in lives. He says that there is going to be a point in time where where in the throne room of God, these seals are going to be open, and, and they're saying, you, only you, Jesus, can do this, for you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood. The good news of the gospel is not necessarily beautiful news in the terms of what it cost Jesus. Jesus Christ hung on that cross. He paid the death penalty for our sins. And we ought to sing in response to that. We ought to sing. We see that he redeemed us to to God, right? Uh, By your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. This is the beauty. We're going to see this lived out in just a second. But this is the beauty of what's going on in this room right now. In a few minutes when we're singing together, we have people from different nations that have come together. We're in this one place. What do we have in common? We have our faith in Jesus Christ. We have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And we get to sing about that and about so much more. I don't know if I can say that. We're going to sing about that in other aspects of it because I don't know if there's anything greater than what we'll be singing about with, when it comes to the gospel. Verse 10, And have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall rise on the earth, reign on the earth. Then I looked, John says, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Handel's Messiah, I just, it's in my head, but he goes on. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and the Lamb forever and ever. And amen and amen and amen and amen and amen. Folks, listen, I don't know if you get any closer to singing what it's going to be like in heaven than Handel's Messiah at this particular point. It, it, it overcomes, I don't know, is there something about singing this truth? scriptural words to music that is overwhelming to me when I, when I, when I sing that uh, Handel's Messiah. But this is the truth of the reality, is that we, when we sing, we're supposed to sing with an expectation for the future. We're not trapped in the present. We, we get to experience the present and with all its difficulties and struggles, but we get to do it with expectation of the future. You think of the Negro spirituals that were sung. I was sharing this with my Bible class last week. And, and, and where did these songs come from? They came from the dire situation of their life. Life was hard. It was horrible. 
but they would sing with expectation of the future. And it got them through the day. Secondly, uh, God wants us to sing with a connection to the past. Now this, we've already engaged in this with the Isaiah passage, but we, we can go back to the Psalms, and I'm not going to cover uh, uh, many of them. I'm just going to uh, use this verse. He says, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. With my mouth will I make known your faithfulness to all generations. Listen, there's a generational aspect to our singing. It's, it's in obedience to God, yes, but it fulfills His purpose. Our singing goes from generation to generation to generation. We can sing, we can have a look toward the future and knowing that our singing today is going to impact future generations, but we can also recognize that our singing, it makes known God's faithfulness to all generations. We are tied together. We are, we are connected to our past. One of the greatest illustrations of this is the five books of the Psalms. If you, if you were to read, 150 Psalms were broken down into five different books, and, and, and they were meant to be sung in the congregation of the saints. They were meant to be experienced over and over and over again to change and direct the lives of God's people. So we can sing with a look towards the future. We can sing knowing we have a connection with the past. But I, I just want to bring us to the, to the next one, which God wants us to sing truth. This is one of the principles we'll be talking about on Wednesday night. But I think this is, this is an opportunity we have to, to engage in the uh, Colossian text. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The, again, parallel passages here, but what we see here is let the word of Christ. What is the word of Christ? Well, certainly I think it's the gospel. It's the words about Christ. It's the word, but certainly I think it's also when we sing, we're not just singing the gospel. We're singing about the, 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 the faith that was uh, lived out by the saints of the past. We're, we're singing all kinds of truth. So I think when we talk about let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, abundantly, to the point where it has impact on your life, let, let the Spirit sing out. Let, this, let the Spirit not only engage you in, in, uh, in knowing truth, but deep truths. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. These, the Paul is trying to convey a, a depth of importance here. He says, it's in all wisdom. When we know all wisdom, God's wisdom comes from His Word. But let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing. So I'm teaching, I'm admonishing, uh, I'm, I'm teaching about singing and why we sing together. This may be an admonishment to those of you who are not singing. It would be a God-honoring ad, uh, admonishment. But it says, listen, you're teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But we're supposed, so we're supposed to speak truth. We're supposed to sing truth. You don't teach lies as, as a Christian. You don't admonish with lies as a Christian. We let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, abundantly, so that through the overflowing uh, uh, relationship that we have with one another in the power of the Spirit, we're actually teaching and admonishing, and we're doing it through song. So he wants us to sing truth. Part of God's purposes for us to sing is he wants us to sing to each other. That's that same text that we were just looking at. 
Have you ever thought about the fact that when we gauge with what do you think teaching's about, most of us say, well, it's worshipful, it's traditional, it's, it's I like to sing. But what's actually taking place when we're singing? Because this is, this is probably the aspect of singing that I was not prepared for, although I've read the text over and over again. And maybe it's going to hit you the same way. When we sing God's purposes and our singing together, as he wants us to sing to each other. Now, there's some aspect of that that uh, you may want to consider. What does it mean? Uh, well, one, I think it means that, one, you have to be singing. Two, you have to be kind of listening, right? Both the mouth gate and the ear gate, right? I mean, we're, we're, we're speaking truth, but we're also hearing truth. When, when, when this room is packed and, and, and we're singing at the top of our lungs and, and, and just praising God for the truths of, of His majesty, of His gospel, of His love, of His mercy, as we sing songs of lament, as we confess our sins, as we recognize the wickedness of, of, our, of, our, of our human nature and realizing what God has done for us, we, we sing... When we listen, when we hear others sing, we are being ministered to. We are hearing truth. And it's truth that when we sing it, in a sense, we're singing, Amen. It is true. I'm singing this truth. But I'm hearing this truth. Does singing hit you that way? Does it strike you as that's what's going on? Because that is what's supposed to be going on. When Christians are singing, the Holy Spirit is speaking, and we ought to be listening. It says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another. It's not just coming to sing praises to God. It's not an individual-only experience that you have. Obviously, you can only sing for yourself, in a sense, or, or, or out of your own vocal cords. But obviously we're seeing that it's we're seeing we're speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Colossians 3:16 says similar. It says let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms. We are engaged in ministry to one another only when we're singing. God wants us to sing with one another. This is often what I think we, we normally focus on, is we're singing with each other. We come together, and I'm, I'm singing up front, you're singing in the back, you're singing over here, and, and we're all singing. And it's like, yeah, we're all doing the same activity. I'm just saying that's the wrong perspective that we are to have. We are to sing with each other. When you look at this text, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord it's not that you're involved in the same activity. You're involved in the depth of your person in that activity. It is not just being filled with the Spirit and speaking to one another in psalms and hymns. I'm speaking at you, I'm speaking at you. It's the idea of you are singing and making melody in your own heart too. This is the idea that we don't just obey God by singing we want His purposes accomplished in our life and in the life of others while we sing. Because we are coming here today, and as we will sing in a few minutes, there are those of you that are burdened. 
You don't know how you're paying a bill. You don't know how you're getting from point A to point B. You don't know how long your loved one's going to uh, 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 be um, in, in the state that they're in. We have all those things going on. We have people that are rejoicing in new jobs. We have people rejoicing in, in uh, maybe a, a financial windfall. Uh, uh, we, we have people that are questioning, what is life all about? We have all kinds of questions. Am I loved by my parents? Am I loved by my siblings? Am I loved by my loved ones? How do I, how do I express this genuine love I have? I find it difficult to express this love that I have. What is going on in your heart and mind? Because whatever is going on in your heart and mind, when we come to sing, God's saying, sing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, your whole being. Allow those things to enter into your singing as you're singing truth, as you're hearing truth. Allow the Holy Spirit to take all the stuff of life, both the joys and the sorrows and the question marks, and, and let the Holy Spirit direct you in the singing. And allow the Holy Spirit to direct you, to, uh, to allow you to direct others as they hear you sing. It matters that you're here in this room at this point in time. Because if you're not here, nobody can minister to you. You cannot minister to anyone else. And you cannot sing with the congregation. You just can't do it if you're not here. Now, there's good reasons to not be here. But there's also not good reasons to be here. To not be here. You know what I mean. We are called to be all in. All in with our emotions. All in with our intellect. All in with our, uh, every part we're supposed to be singing and making melody in our heart to the Lord. It is an internal thing that is empowered by the Holy Spirit that is overflowing. And I hope that you'll be able to participate in that in just a few minutes. It does say, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. A couple things I just want to mention here as we think about this. Giving thanks. It, 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 these are, these the, the command here is be filled with the Spirit. That's the command. And you do that, or that's taking place when you're speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, when you're singing and making melody, and when you're giving thanks. You can do those things with song or without song, but I think you can do them all in song as well. And so even the giving of thanks may be a separate way of uh, being filled in the, or a separate uh, aspect of being filled with the Spirit. But certainly we can sing songs of thankfulness and gratitude for what God has done. And also from this, this uh, particular passage, we can see for all things, we're, we're doing all this to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, which will lead us into the, the next, uh, and the parallel passage says the same thing, singing with grace in your heart. This is the way we're called to sing. But as, as we look at this, why do we sing as a church? So far, we've just looked at it. We want to obey God's commands. I think you got that. God's commanded us. But it's deeper. We are to fulfill God's purposes. That's why we wanted it. We want, I want to be involved in what God's doing. But the third, uh, oh, I was going to say shoot. Okay. really was, but I realized when I did it that long, I was like, man, what's going through their mind right now, all right? I got a couple minutes left before we go to singing. I wanted, before I got to the third reason, I wanted to stop and say, why, why don't we sing? And I don't want to rush this, but I'm, I'm going to keep you a little bit longer, but you're staying for lunch anyway, so, so bear with me. 
Why don't we sing? Well, I think fear is probably the number one reason we don't sing. We're fearful that someone will hear us, which is the exact purpose of singing is for others to hear us. We're fearful that we'll sing off key. Join the club. Right? I often joke about, hey, if they do the mic a certain way, then, then you're going to hear me singing a solo. And I joke about it, and I ought to be careful with that. I mean, I am just joking, but the, the reality is you ought to hear me. As your pastor, as your brother in Christ, you ought to hear me singing. Now, granted, if I'm up here, I don't expect Dave's going to hear me back there. That might be a little odd. But those around me ought to hear, as those around you ought to hear. So we, we might be fearful of what other people might think. We, we might have regrets coming into this morning. Let's say you came here this morning and you were struggling with some aspect of life. Let's say you didn't live the most Christian-like testimony this morning before coming in these, and you have regrets. You may not sing as a result of that. You may, on a, on a regular basis, come and, and, and with a sense of shame over your whole life, and you're, I can't sing to God. I'm not worthy. And I think all those three are just examples of lies of Satan to get us to not do what we're commanded to do and not fulfill the purposes that God has called us to fulfill. We might lack understanding. We, we might not have known that we're supposed to sing out of obedience or, or to, and to sing out of uh, a desire to fulfill his purposes. We may lack familiarity with the song that we're singing. We, we may not know it. It may be a new song that, that Scripture talks about. Or it, we could have over-familiarity. I know this song, and I've known it for decades. You know? It's like, can't we sing something else? All those are true. All those are probably going on in, in any given Sunday. But I'm saying for the first three, don't, don't hold to the, tie, to, to the lies of the devil. For the, so for the second three, I'm just saying, listen, it's a new song every time you sing it. You've never sung it with this group of people in this particular time on any given Sunday. And whether it's a hymn of old or a brand new song, it is an opportunity for us to sing in obedience and fulfilling his purposes. I just wanted to say, if you struggle to sing, we want to encourage you to try. So we're going to sing here in a few minutes, and we're going to ask you, overcome the fear, overcome the regrets, overcome the shame, overcome whatever it is. I had a gentleman come to me after the, after the first service and said, one of the reasons that I struggle to sing is someone complimented me on my singing in the past. And I was concerned that I was singing out of pride. And I said, well, if you're trusting the Lord with all your heart and leaning not on your own understanding, then you're probably acknowledging him in your singing. Sing out, brother. And he just smiled. You can see the freedom. He wants to sing. And he's, he has a nice voice. And he was tempted to not sing because he thought it might be pride. And it's not pride. Certainly don't sing in your pride. That would not be uh, godly. We want to help you succeed. We really do in our ministry. We're going to be talking more about uh, the aspects of how this can take place uh, on Wednesday night. So lastly, why do we sing? Third reason is because we want to participate in worship with God's people. It's kind of involved in the first two, granted. But as we segue into a time of, of singing, all right, I'm going to go ahead and ask the folks to start coming up. All right. Uh, this is a quotation out of our beginnings class. And I think it's a, a, a fitting conclusion to what it is that we've been talking about with these passages of Scripture. There's so many more areas of Scripture we could go to. 
uh, to, to nail down this truth, but I, I'm just trying to keep it simple. But because, why do we sing as a church? Because congregational singing is what? It's spirit-empowered. We talk about that. It's the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. It's truth-centered. We, t- we, we sing truth. It is affection-stirring. I didn't talk about this. But you know I'm an affection-stirred kind of person when it comes to singing. Now, the songs we're about to sing, some of my favorite. I didn't pick them. I had some insight. But I didn't pick them. But I didn't tell him this. But if I were going to pick a song on any Sunday, it would be There is a Morning. A song that our music pastor created of the working of the Holy Spirit in his life. And it ministers to me like nothing else ministers to me in this time in my life. We're not singing that one today. But if I did, you, if we did, you would see an affectionately stirred pastor crying every time. We, con- we sing against a congreg- congregation. Congregational singing is corporate encouraging. Let this, allow this to be an encouraging time to you. Sing out. Hear the singing of others. Be encouraged in the truths that are being portrayed in words and sung and led by by the folks who are up here. It is God-directed worship. Congregational singing is God-directed worship. It's not the only kind of worship. It's worship through music. There's worship through prayer. There's worship, worship through preaching. There's worship through responding to God's Word. There's worship in observing the ordinances. There's all kinds of worship. But we are being told, and the focus of today is, why do we sing? Because congregational singing is spirit-empowered, truth-centered, affection-stirring, corporate-encouraging, God-directed worship through music. So, let's sing. Thank you.